Some of you might have seen the documentary a few nights ago, but there was a moment uh, this afternoon at three o'clock, which I think is really quite powerful. It was captured in a documentary earlier on this week. It's about the uh, carols from King's College. It's three o'clock this afternoon. The choristers arrived in the, in the college, uh, and at that very moment, the lead of the the choir points to one of the young choristers and he steps forward. He didn't know beforehand. And he steps forward and he sings a solo, unaccompanied, uh, to Once in Royal David's City. Silence. Quiet. And then just this one little voice that starts to sing and and brings an incredibly powerful moment. What was fascinating is where that came from. The nine lessons and carols that have become established now, and that young lad performs without any preparation other than the months of preparation and the possibility that it might be him that's chosen. He sings in front of millions and millions of people And it's been reordered since just after the First World War. One of the army chaplains, his name was Eric Milner-White, was massively affected by what he experienced out on the Western Front as an army chaplain. And it seems to me as though what he saw was the darkness and the bleakness and the horror of the reality of the world that we live in and wanted to bring those nine lessons and carols with a a new and an engaging focus, a way to speak. And I think what's developed since then is the idea that in the cold, in the darkness, in the silence, there's this one little voice that breaks through. I think it's really powerful. And I think what he has done, I suppose artistically, with the idea of a voice singing unaccompanied, is captures one of those massive themes in the Bible. It's prepared for right the way through the Old Testament. It's spoken about continually at Christmas time. It's the idea of In the darkness, in the bleakness, is there the possibility of a little voice? Isaiah captures it in this way. Isaiah says in chapter 40 and verse 33, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Handel used that in his Messiah to capture exactly the same idea. And I think it is something we so desperately need to get back to in our culture and to remind ourselves that in the joy and the excitement and the uh, frivolity of Christmas that it is part of our culture and, you know, there's nothing wrong with celebrating and being joyful. But sometimes we forget the desperate need for a voice of hope in the bleakness. I think if there's one theme 
that we've tried to capture over this Christmas period, over these past few weeks, it's that. That the world that we live in today tries to hide uh, uh, from the realities and distract ourselves with the celebration and the joy. And in doing that, it masks and it hides the real joy which Christmas is. The reading that we had a little bit earlier, which we're going to look at for a few minutes, in a way, I would say it's almost the equivalent of the Christmas voice, the solo little voice. Let's, let's locate ourselves. Uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, who live in Nazareth, Mary has received a message from, from heaven that she is going to have a child and that that child, as was being described, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's a breathtaking moment and it's an incredible message that she receives that she is going to be the bearer of the promised one from all of God's message to His people. For those of you who <coughs> are interested in the connections that we see in the Bible, what she uh, sings at this moment is almost a, it's almost a mirror of Hannah's song, the birth of Samuel. It's this idea that in the bleakness, in the darkness, there is a little voice. Mary leaves on that news and she goes to be with her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, who is also pregnant. As Mary arrives at her house, the baby who Elizabeth is bearing leaps and Elizabeth responds with joy at the idea of what she has heard in Mary having a child promised by God. It is Elizabeth's son, John, who Isaiah speaks about a few minutes ago when I said, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepared the way for the Lord. That's John. That's exactly what he did. Little voices. A voice of two peasant women celebrating the birth of a child. The voice of John the Baptist out in the wilderness preparing us for the ministry of Jesus. Right the way through the Bible, there is the, the idea of this, little voices. Nothing big, nothing powerful, nothing grand. Just tiny little voices. Mary's song, or the Magnificat as it has become known, is a powerful moment, I think, where Mary's song is the precursor to a chorister in King's College singing out a little voice of hope. Let's just look at it for a few minutes in verse 46 to verse 48. I want you to imagine the situation for God's people at this time. They are under Roman occupation. There is nothing different in the world today as was in the world then. 
racial tensions, the abuse of the weak, terrible injustice, the powerful preying on those who have nothing, the idea of people being shunned and sent out from their homelands and fleeing occupation, that was the world that Mary and Elizabeth had surrounding them as they met. And at that moment, the words that Mary speaks out speak with even more power, don't they? She is one of the oppressed. She is one of the nothing people. She's a peasant woman. And she says this, She sings out, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. Isn't that incredible? What is incredible about that? What's incredible about that is that 2,000 years later, those words that a little peasant girl sang when she was with her older cousin Elizabeth, as they recognized the significance of the moment, we still read today. They've been captured, they've been preserved, because it's one of those moments that is saying something dramatic is going to happen. We live in a world, don't we, which absolutely relies on the big message. If you're going to get something out there for the whole of the world, you've got to make it big. You've got to make it dramatic. You've got to make it grand. And yet in the economy of God, a little voice in an unknown village by a peasant girl has massive significance. In fact, more than that, look at what she says. He has been mindful of my humble state. I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. There is nothing special about me, but it isn't as though God ignores her humble state. Actually, a humble state is the very ground on which God decides to build the hope of the world. Isn't that amazing? How do you feel in your relationship with God? Are there times when you feel, I am nothing. I don't even know whether I can come to Him. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel as though that I have got anything to bring. There is nothing in me. And God says that is exactly the grounds on which I build hope in this world. God has been mindful of my humble estate. It is not a barrier. It is the grounds of God's mercy. But I want to ask the question, as Mary sings... What is she singing about? I, I think I'd capture it in this little idea 
There's loads of ways in which you can describe Christmas. But let me just use this little phrase for the whole of Christmas. Christmas is all about the king stooping. The king stooping. What do you mean? There is something really powerful, you know, about the idea of power and wealth and riches and glory reaching down. Let, let me give you an example. Earlier on in October this year, there was a moment when Prince Harry was speaking to uh, a widow of a serviceman in Australia. Uh, she, she was he was really engaged in the conversation with her, and it turns out that her husband, after the trauma of war, had committed suicide. Tragic story. And the aides and the kind of planners of the day and all of that kind of thing, they started to try to move him on. And he would not move. He stayed with her and he ensured that he listened to the whole of the story and then he broke all royal etiquette when he hugged her. I, I think actually... He's channeling his mum, isn't he? She was known for just that kind of engagement. The idea of somebody with great power and great wealth and privilege and all of those kind of things reaching down and those, those iconic images of Diana in a culture which was terrified of AIDS reaching out and shaking the hand of somebody who had AIDS, and sitting down at the bedside, and spending time with them, and listening to them, and engaging with them. It's powerful, isn't it, in our culture? When the, when the king, or the queen, or the prince stoops, what is happening? The stooping is showing compassion for the helpless. Giving the helpless a voice and dignity so that the desperate and the silenced and the hopeless are comforted. They are heard and they are filled with hope. That's the core of the Christmas message. The king stooping. What does the king stooping look like? It looks like the possibility of a little peasant girl singing about the birth of a tiny baby who is no less than the Son of God coming into our world. What do we think about the idea of the God of heaven and earth, the God of the cosmos, breaking into our world? How should He arrive? How should he, how should he turn up? How should He declare Himself? All of our human instinct says in the biggest and the most powerful and the most dramatic of ways, something that maintains His power and His authority big and out there and above us. And yet there is something powerful when the king stoops.
steps to our helplessness and our desperation and gives us dignity and gives us a voice and gives us hope. Paul puts it like this in Philippines chapter 2 and verse 6. He says this, This is the kind of stooping king who being in very nature God, this is Jesus, His very nature is God. And He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. I think that's a great way that the NIV describes it. He didn't decide that my status is something that I am going to use for my benefit so that I take all of the glory. But rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The God who is glorious, the God who is majestic, who we think, show yourself in power and glory and majesty, shows Himself as an ordinary peasant human being. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We cannot take the Christmas message away from the cross and the death of Jesus. So what does it look like then when the king stoops? I just want to point out three things that Mary says. Three things that she sings with joy. First one is this. He scatters the proud who believe that the world should be shaped for them. Say that again. He scatters the proud who believe that the world should be shaped for them. Look at verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. I want you to think just for a few minutes about the world that we live in. There has been all sorts of stuff in the news over these past years about the rich getting richer and more powerful and all sorts of ideas that the whole of our economy is being shaped to benefit a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller number of people. And we could argue that one, and then we could argue, well, in the past, turn of the uh, 20th century into the early 20th century, there was exactly the, the opposite. There was the rise of the idea of communism, where the collective was shaping everything to their own benefit and squeezing out the other. Wherever we look in human history, there is a sense in which there is a group who raise up a proud heart and shape the world for themselves. And Mary sings, He has performed a mighty deed, mighty deeds with His arm, and He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Number two, He brings down the rulers who think that the poor exist to serve them. Look at verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. 
How do you see the events of history? We can view them from the purely human perspective in the events that unfold and the way things happen and the rising and the falling of powers. And we can look around our world, even Europe today, and we can say that there were places which in the past were at the very center of the world and now they are marginalized. And we can say, well, how is that? <laughs> and Mary sings that he has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. He reverses the order, third one. He reverses the order where the rich feed at the expense of the hungry. That's our normal order, isn't it? The rich feed at the expense of the hungry. That's massively, massively condemning, I think, for all of us in the room. When we look at the injustice on a world scale, and we think, well, what can, I cannot do anything about this. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary sings with joy about a stooping king because when the king stoops, the kingdom changes. That's the whole of the message of Jesus. He was coming to usher in a completely new kingdom which reverses all of the expectations which we have as human beings. The challenge that we have now is that that kingdom which He has introduced is not yet fully seen. But it's already successful. Because the coming of Jesus as a tiny baby who brings in that kingdom and establishes that kingdom says that this kingdom is guaranteed and one day you will see it. When? When the stooping king returns as the triumphant king. That's the journey that Christmas takes us on. If we look at it and we say, if Jesus was coming as a stooping king to do all of those things that Mary sings about, it doesn't look as if he's been successful. It doesn't look as if there is any hope. And yet what we see laid out before us is the idea of a king who stoops so that one day there will be a king who returns in triumph and in glory. So what about these powers? What about these authorities? What about this kind of system that looks so terribly wrong? Paul again reminds us and he, he, he takes us in a slightly different direction and he says, I want you to see it in a different way. He's writing to a group of Christians who are about to face oppression from Roman authorities and he says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, look, you need to see that the battle that we face 
And the reason that Jesus came, and the reason that He is returning again, is because all of the injustice that we see in the world are merely symptoms of a greater power that Jesus has conquered. And it is the power of the spiritual forces that are running ragged humanity. And Jesus says, as he dies on a cross, that battle, it is finished. I have won. I have triumphed. It's over. The king has condescended. He has stooped down as a little baby. Mary sings about it. And he has established a kingdom which reverses all of the injustice. And one day, for those who trust and believe in that Jesus, it will all be seen in its fullness when he returns again. It's a reason for us to sing. It's a reason for a little voice that sings out as a peasant girl that we're able to say, I want to join with that voice and I want to sing about the King who has triumphed.